0: You're listening to The Bible Nerd Podcast, a weekly show where we're exploring the world of the Bible, helping you fall more in love with Jesus, and building a thoughtful defense for the Christian worldview. I'm your host, Steve Schram. Welcome to the show. All right, we're excited to dive into another episode of the Bible Nerd Podcast, talking about uh, one of my favorite subjects today, which is always the subject of creation. I love talking about creation, understanding how God created the world, the origin of, of, of everything, the origin of life. These are fun discussions for me to have. So today we're diving into the issue of evolution and abiogenesis. Are they different or the same? And I will explain what I mean when I get to that question. First, before we dive in, let me remind you that this and every episode are sponsored quite literally by the work i do in my website design and marketing business Northmax Services. We do work for small pro- uh excuse me small businesses, nonprofits, and um, influencers and thought leaders, things of that nature. Uh, we've done everything from, you know, small nonprofits to executive leadership coaching websites and hvac websites. We've we've done it all. And so i really uh, it's one of my favorite things in the world to talk about is uh, is marketing and website design. So what we aim to do, whether you have a business or a nonprofit or whatever, is we would come alongside you and seek to really understand how you do business, how you interact with those people that you work with, and come up with a good plan for marketing your business from there. It's really more of a partnership. And of course, I am tend to uh, try my best to be a very personable person, come across as somebody who who knows this stuff and, and, and you can really place your trust in. So if you're interested in doing some work with me to that end on a project, then I would love for you to reach out. And let me just say too, it's probably a lot more affordable than you might think. I tend to handle things a little differently than some others do. And so if you're intrigued by that and you're interested to um, see what that's all about, then I would invite you to reach out to me and you can find how to do that at northmacservices.com. Northmacservices.com. Go there and you can check out, you can sign up to, to, to have a conversation with me and I would absolutely love that. And you can see what other kinds of things we do as well well without any further ado moving along here to this issue of evolution and abiogenesis now these are two very important parts of the origins conversation and even though that's the case there's often some confusion about how these relate uh, to each other and even what they mean uh, you know are they are they the same thing uh, are Are evolution and abiogenesis uh, the same thing in some sense? Is there a distinction? Um, What, if there is one, is the distinction? Uh, Do they relate to another uh, in some way? Uh, These are all very important questions, and we're going to attempt to answer them here as we go along. And I would like to frame our uh, discussion in terms of probably the two most common viewpoints with respect to this issue. You know, here's what I mean. Typically... The creationist will make the mistake of conflating these concepts into one. Conflating them into one. Or they may say something like this. Well, we know evolution didn't happen because evolution cannot create life. We know evolution didn't happen because evolution cannot create life. Just think about that for a minute. Do you find that, that you think that's a true um, statement or not? Well, it has a... Profound imprecision (laughs) to it, to say the least. And and as we'll see, uh, evolutionists are going to take issue with this because of that. And again, I'm not necessarily saying that certain informed creationists will say that. I'm saying that this might be a, a very popular understanding of what a creationist position might look like. Um, even though there's some technicalities to it, and that's why we're talking about it today. There's technicalities that we need to look at, and ultimately, uh, you know, we don't become uh, Bible nerds for Bible nerdery's sake. Um, we we seek to understand. We seek to understand the Bible. We seek to understand those who disagree with us. We seek to understand ourselves better. And through that, we can carefully think through these issues and not go just with what is, you know, gets uh, uh, promulgated by certain popularizers. We can actually be careful thinkers and make distinctions such that we don't have to just go along with the crowd on either side. Now, on the other hand, you've got the evolutionists, and I'm going to harp on them too, because they say something like this. Well, of course, abiogenesis is irrelevant to whether or not evolution occurred. A biogenesis is irrelevant to whether or not evolution occurred. Think on that statement for a minute. Let's see, is, is that statement accurate? Does that statement make sense? Well, creationists are going to take issue with this because it misses a very crucial, crucial point. So let's discuss these. We're going to start by defining the terms. Let's start with evolution. The term evolution essentially means change over time. Now, to determine how much change is going to require a lot more work. To do that, we have to determine the molecular limits of DNA and RNA. We have to consider factors like uh, epigenetics and other environmental circumstances, how the uh, environment around affects the way an organism changes over time. And um, as you might imagine there's no shortage of opinion uh, with respect to what evolution can accomplish. A lot of people have different ideas about this. This is not a cut and dry issue. Many people from many different worldview persuasions have uh, issues here, have disagreement here. It is not black and white. It's just not. It's just not. Now, many believe that evolutionary mechanisms can, on their own, account for significant changes between organismal populations. These changes are the route through which biological evolution has occurred from, on the evolutionist view, the moment just after life began. And so therefore, right, all life is ultimately related. That's this most common conception of the idea of biological evolution evolution there's no real distinction here it's just this idea of universal common ancestry that all life is created and that the standard evolutionary mechanisms that we talk about random mutation natural selection these things can accomplish that now others believe that certain organisms must have been actually specially created to have distinctions from others so while a wolf might be in the, um, so to speak, the quote unquote evolutionary lineage of your family, Chihuahua, a leopard would not be. A leopard would not be. Those are different. You've got a canine versus a feline, ultimately. You've got a dog versus a cat, and these things would not be ultimately related. So there are a multiplicity of ways that experts seek to define evolution. If you just go to the Stanford Philosophy um, uh, Encyclopedia of Philosophy, you can see uh, how complicated this issue is. And by the way, you can find the link to that in the show notes there at our website, steveshram.com. And uh, there's just so many ways that experts try to define these things, and there's so many considerations. um and often uh, those definitions and those distinctions become outdated the more scientists learn, or at least um, the more they uh, they think they learn. So the most important takeaway here is that we are referring to biological evolution. Let's get that straight. We are referring to biological evolution. And the semantics really do matter. They really do matter. Here's why. At least uh, one reason why. Um, abiogenesis actually means... Uh, the origin of life from non-living matter, according to Webster's. Now, what's interesting is that in support of this definition, they cite David Warmflash and his colleagues on the following. Listen to what they say, quote, According to the conventional hypothesis, the earliest living cells emerged as a result of chemical evolution on our planet billions of years ago in a process called a biogenesis, close quote. So therefore, the conventional hypothesis, so to speak, would seem to rely on some sort of evolution, namely chemical evolution, in order for the process of abiogenesis to take place. Now, biogenesis itself simply means the origin of life, and according to one source, the law of biogenesis is this: the principle that living organisms develop only from other living organisms and not from non-living matter. Okay, close quote. So let me let me kind of summarize this here, okay? We have to look at the biological diversity of life on Earth. And one of the questions we have to ask is how did it get this way? And the theory of biological evolution seeks to explain that. I think it's wrong. But it it's an option on the table. It's It's a way that seeks to explain that data and, in some cases at least, does a good job of it. But now, remember, the creationist says, geez, well, you know, evolution and abiogenesis are basically the same thing. the, The evolutionist says, well, they're not the same thing at all. They're not even remotely related. Well, guess what? They're both wrong. They're both wrong. Abiogenesis, according to an expert in the field, is a chemical evolution process. It's a process that is um, uh, basically resulted from chemical evolution. Okay, so chemical evolution seems to be the the driver of a biogenesis, whereas, um, again, a distinct form of biological evolution is the driver of the evolutionary uh, project that Darwin set in motion. So we're working with two very distinct but also related concepts. The arising of organic living matter from non-living matter and its subsequent change over time. So it's the arising of organic matter from non-living matter. That's one matter, excuse me. And then its subsequent change over time. That's two. That's the second concept. So what does evolution do? Well, evolution, again, it tends to be kind of a moving target, right? Um, It's hardly surprising. Those who hold to this theory expect it to account, again, for all biodiversity of life on Earth. I mean, this is astounding. Everything that you see, Everything that you see from that which we can see under a microscope that is living to the biggest land animals that ever roamed the earth. This is the the breadth of biological diversity that seeks and demands to be explained. And the evolutionary hypothesis is one of those um, offered explanations. Okay, and that's the idea. It has to account for all of this that we've observed in the world over the great amount of time of a purported 4.5 billion year history of life on Earth. And again, I disagree with that as well, but that's what they have to explain. They seek to explain what they believe is a 4.5 billion year history of life on Earth. And again, th- that's the history of the Earth in general. Life arose uh, on their theories a few million years after that. But again, you know who really knows, right? I mean, that it, it's, um, it's all speculation. So to be sure, Uh, This is not a small task, okay? This is a huge ask uh, of the theorists of evolution. This is a very huge ask for them. Um, And so it's, I think, right of us to question whether it actually has the goods to do the job. This is one of those things that just, especially if we don't come at it with a biblical worldview, there is a a sort of... (sighs) A sort of intuitiveness to it that makes sense on the surface. If you, again, do not have a biblical worldview, you can kind of see how this stuff makes sense and why so many people take it as a given. That's why one of the things you'll hear from a lot of creationists is when they first became a Christian, they were still evolutionists for a while because they didn't really have a full grasp. They didn't really understand what would be so problematic about it because you're just baked into this way of thinking from a very young age if you are not raised with the ability or excuse me i guess i should say if you are not raised by people who have taken the time to develop their own ability to think other, otherwise and to to come to their own conclusions and you know have been a biblically sound thinkers themselves then you're probably not going to come to the table approaching it with any expectation of changing your view even on this idea of evolution so it's no surprise to me that many people buy into this because it sounds believable on the surface of it. It's when you dive into the details that it gets a little bit more dicey. Now, in my interview with Dr. Michael Behe, we discussed the abilities and the inabilities of evolutionary mechanisms in far greater detail than we're going to go in this article. So I would encourage you to check out that interview. But again, what I'm going to say here is based on that. In short, evolution works by the invocation of a number of biological processes, most of which can be summarized by this statement, random mutation acting on natural selection, random mutation acting on natural selection. Now there's further clarification needed here for the process of randomness, and we're not going to go too far into this, but I'm just going to bring this out to you so that you have context, okay? There's quite a bit of debate these days on what's meant by this term. Um, at least in terms of uh, some popular work that's going on right now uh, not not surprisingly as if you follow my material uh, the work of Dr. William Lane Craig uh, he has really been working on this issue here lately and so this is one of those things um, that uh, he makes a point of in order to show that there's no Uh, contradiction. And I, again, (laughs) I disagree with him, but what he's going to do is define this concept of randomness in such a way where there would be no contradiction between evolution and the Bible in terms of whether or not evolution is a guided or unguided process. So here's what we mean, uh, by this so with randomness of course the most common idea is that randomness is akin to like chance something like that just completely unguided undirected just pure chance that any particular organism has any particular set of features ends up in any particular environment acts any particular way in that environment changes into any particular other thing over time in that environment in other words everything just happens by chance okay they could have been any other way But they're not. They're the way that they are. They just happen to be the way that they are. Now, others seem to believe that random, in this sense, should be understood as something like this. And this would be the the position that Craig takes, and he thinks that um, other biologists uh, mean by this. Quote, irrespective of its usefulness to the organism. Unquote. Okay, so so the random means that a, any given change in the nature of an organism is going to happen irrespective of its usefulness to the organism. Now this is more germane again to the question of whether or not evolution can be a guided. Process, but it's still important to understand what is meant. So, what we're going to do, for the sake of argument here at least, is assume the latter definition. We're going to assume the latter definition as we go through. So, in other words, in everything we're saying here, we're making the assumption that regardless of what is meant by other things, randomness can mean at least, and let's say it does, for again, for the sake of argument, let's say it does mean that changes and mutations are random, um, irrespective of their usefulness to. The organism. Now, virtually everyone agrees that natural selection occurs. Creationists, no problem. Natural selection occurs. As a matter of fact, I would argue that it has to. Okay, it's merely a way of representing this tautology. Those who are selected survive, and those who survive were selected. In other words, it's the survival of the fittest. It's the survival of the fittest. It's just a tautology. It's like saying the same thing two different ways. So evolution works by, um, on this view, again, impartial mutation of the genetic code, and only those mutations which prove beneficial to the organism will ultimately survive the refiner's fire and be successfully integrated into the species' population. Now, you might take issue with what evolution is ultimately able to accomplish, but it's nevertheless true that change takes place over time in biological organisms. So that's what evolution does. Now let's look at biogenesis, okay? Notice that nothing that we mentioned right there has anything to do with the origin of life. Again, we're talking about biological evolution. That has nothing to do with the origin of life, these processes, okay? Now what does biogenesis do? Well, biogenesis is concerned with reproduction, with reproduction. In other words, this is how new organisms come to be, okay? Um, As I described earlier, all life that we know of comes from another living organism. Every Everything that we call life, that we understand to be life, the only um, concept of that that we have is something that comes from another living organism. So biogenesis, in the sense, is not some sort of molecular process, but it's actually a conceptual term describing the possibility of life to produce more life, okay? It's not a biological process or even a molecular process biogenesis but it's instead a concept it's a conceptual term it describes the possibility of life to produce more life abiogenesis in contrast abiogenesis is a conceptual term again which is defined as this the generation of life from non-living material which occurred through stepwise chemical and molecular evolution over millions of years let me read that again the generation of life from non-living material, which occurred through stepwise chemical and molecular evolution over millions of years. Now, this quotation comes directly from a Wikipedia article, which, uh, you know, Wikipedia is not the most reliable source, but they do provide four scholarly references for this claim, so we can assume that, you know, I think it's a reasonable assumption in this case that they have got the definition fairly correct. So, there's no process though, now get this, this is this is where it's important, there's no process that's able to account for this leap. It merely refers to the concept. So even though it says it occurred through stepwise chemical and molecular evolution, remember the concept of biogenesis just says life can produce more life, okay? There is, uh, of course, you know, molecular processes that go on in the idea of life producing more life, but that's so poorly understood. We don't have a clue what that means. So how do we have any more of a clue? We have much less of a clue, in fact, of what that could mean in the case of it um, somehow assembling through some sort of evolutionary mechanism. So while they may define it in such a way that it occurs, that the process occurs um, via what they call molecular evolution, we have no idea how this would work. We just, we just don't. We have no idea. We can't even create it ourselves. We have no earthly idea. And to say that we do is to lie. It's a deception. It's just a deception. There's no process that can account for this. It's just the concept. Now, here's what's clear scientists do, in fact, they do appeal to this evolutionary development of life on earth in order to explain abiogenesis. But again, I will just reiterate, there is no, there is just zero physical evidence to support the fact that it took place. There's just none. There is just none. Organic chemist Dr. James Tor summarizes it this way, quote, beyond our planet, all the others that have been probed are lifeless, a result in accord with our chemical expectations. The laws of physics and chemistry's periodic table are universal, suggesting that life based upon amino acids, nucleotides, saccharides, and lipids is an anomaly. Life should not exist anywhere in our universe. Life should not even exist on the surface of the earth, Close quote. So by definition, abiogenesis does not take place by the same processes which allegedly drive biological evolution. Nevertheless, there is a broad appeal to the evolutionary c- scenario going on here, uh, especially chemical and molecular evolution, and it's required to even entertain its plausibility. So, um... you you know, geez, you can just kind of see here that neither the creationists or the evolutionists are right, but neither of them are wrong. They actually each make a pretty good point. There are distinctions there, um, but the distinctions between them are not as drastic as, um, the evolutionist wants to maintain and the similarities between them are not as similar as the creationist wants to maintain again there's middle there's middle ground i do want to make one point here that kind of um, might help to clarify some of this you know words are often equivocal as opposed to univocal okay univocal or Equivocal, equivocal, So, um, in terms of informal logic, the root problem here just is this fallacy of equivocation. Since the word evolution is rather plastic, well, and maybe I shouldn't even say it's necessarily uh, the fallacy. It would be a fallacy if used in an argument as a fallacious sense. But there's a substitution going on here between the words. Evolution has a sense of chemical evolution. It has a sense of probably cosmic, I've heard referred to, evolution. It has a sense of biological evolution. There are many different kinds that you could talk about depending on what the context is that you're in. And when you sub those out for one another, you get confusion. You get confusion. So that's why you have to clarify what you mean. Let's talk as we come to a close here about what I'm going to call the dependency crisis. The dependency crisis. Now, as we've seen, there's evidence that both the evolutionist and the creationist failure to properly define terms and concepts is the largest probably i would say contributing factor to the confusion that often surrounds this topic but there's one more problem i mean and this is a big a big problem and this is more of a uh, you know kind of a philosophical one and a logical one and frankly a common sense one without abiogenesis biological evolution has nothing to do Without a biogenesis taking place on the naturalist worldview, biological evolution has nothing to do. There's nothing to evolve. There's nothing to evolve because there's no life. So in other words, evolutionary mechanisms have nothing to act upon if life does not exist. Nothing to act upon. And we all get this point. We all recognize this. And here, here's where the evolutionist wants to just double down, right? Well, we're here. So evolution must be have happened they might say something like that we're here so it must have happened Abiogenesis. it must have happened evolution it must have happened because here we are well the problem of course is twofold first uh, it's a logical fallacy it's a logical fallacy because that we are here is irrelevant to the question of how we are here those are two different things and you could call this the fallacy of irrelevant thesis these are two different things okay we are here, that's true, but it's irrelevant because the real question is why. It's why. And the second thing is that it fails to appreciate that the entire evolutionary history of life can be called into question. If the philosophical system, which undergirds their theory, philosophical naturalism, rules out the possibility of life. If, if philosophical naturalism rules out the possibility of the existence of life, then then it undermines their entire system it just does so if there's no life there's no evolution so if life is not possible then there's strong reason to doubt that evolution occurred pretty simple stuff if life's not possible there's very strong reason to doubt that evolution actually occurred And of course, if there's no life, there's no evolution. So this means that even though they're distinct in meaning, evolution and abiogenesis are actually very, very much related and very, very much a part of the same discussion. They need each other. They need each other. And without one, the other fails. The other fails. All right. Well, I want to thank you for joining us this week again here on another episode of the Bible Nerd Podcast. This episode was a little bit shorter than they have been recently. and That's probably a welcome break for you uh, to have one a little bit shorter and maybe a little bit more to the point. So thank you for, um, spending your time with us again this week. It's something that I appreciate very much, and I very much enjoy bringing this type of content to you. If you appreciate the work we do, and you're looking for a way to support us, I would just encourage you to check out NorthMacServices.com. Once again, this is the business that I run. It quite literally funds my ministry um, addiction slash uh, hobby, I guess you could say. Uh, I I love to do this. I don't charge anything for doing this. Uh, I do make ways available for you to support me, but um, frankly, not very many people have taken me up on, on, those, um, on those channels, and that's fine. Uh, I don't do this for money. Uh, I do this uh, for, the, uh, for, for the love of ministry and because I believe God wants me to do it. Um, I, frankly, I, I wouldn't do it if I didn't think God wanted me to because it takes a lot of time. So the best way that you can kind of support our efforts and support my ability to keep creating content like this is to do some work with me. If you're somebody or you know somebody who needs website design or graphic work of any sort or uh, marketing help, then I'm your guy. I've worked with small businesses, nonprofits, and um, uh, large businesses. So I am very excited to... uh, hopefully get to do some work with some people here in my audience. I've already done work with uh, a few of them and I've been very, very thrilled uh, with those projects and how those have turned out. So I would just encourage you to reach out to me at uh, northmaxservices.com, see what kind of things we can do there and how we might be able to help you uh, accomplish your goals in your business or your nonprofit or your ministry, whatever the case may be. Okay. God bless you. Tell somebody about the podcast. We're growing. It's the best way we continue to grow. Tell somebody about it and God bless. We'll see you next week.